Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello, it's Lauren here with another creative check-in, and today's is about the power of releasing your emotions and the perils of bottling up how you feel. As you know, there's been a lot going on lately, and in order to get through everything and to make sure I get all of my work done, I think I've stopped myself from feeling, which is bad, on a human level, you know, because you can't really be like a functioning member of society. Well, I guess you can be a functioning member of society, but you can't be the kind of member of society that I want to be if you're not allowing yourself to feel. Also, bottling up how you feel does inhibit creativity, definitely. And it, it leads to you being miserable because everything, instead of expressing yourself, you're internalizing it and kind of like taking it out on yourself. And I didn't realize how much this was happening until yesterday hit and I had some alone time. And it just hit me like how frustrated and trapped I was feeling and how alone I was feeling because I wasn't sharing these emotions with anyone. And I don't even know if I'm making sense right now. But it's just, you know, that feeling when you're going through a lot, and you're just pushing everything down and pushing it down and pushing it down. And it just makes you feel more and more and more alone. And I was reacting badly to some people. I think because I was feeling alone and because I was feeling like nobody cared. And so I was assuming that everyone was that way instead of like opening up and then like asking for the help that I needed. So finally last night I got on the phone with my boyfriend who's been in Minnesota visiting his family and I literally cried for 45 minutes and told him everything I was feeling. I actually even told him I was mad with him, which he took like a champ and apologized for. And I told him about everything I was feeling and how I felt like I didn't have support. And I asked him for his help. And I told him some specific things he can do. Because that's the thing, when, when we ask for someone's help, unless they're like, some people are super intuitive and empathic and kind of instinctively know what to do. But that's a very, very, very small percentage of society. Most people need some direction. And if you can give them a little direction, they'll be incredibly helpful. So I told them some specific things he can do to help. And as soon as I got off the phone, I felt like a brick had been lifted off of my chest and out of my head. So if you're feeling trapped or you're feeling creatively blocked or you're feeling frustrated and like angry at a lot of things or people around you, it could be a sign that you're not releasing your emotions and find a way to do that, whether that's, you know, you're going to do it on your own journaling. I personally feel that the best way for us to really get to the bottom of how we feel is by having conversations. So whether that's a therapist, a friend, a family member, but talk about how you're feeling because it can really inhibit your creative process. It can 
make you super depressed. I mean, yesterday I was just feeling so low and lonely and angry and it's just a really bad place to be in. And when you're there, it's really easy to spiral. So don't hesitate to reach out. Don't necessarily wait for someone to reach out to you. Reach out to someone else who you trust, who you know will hold your feelings in a way that makes you feel safe and express yourself because it's going to bring you closer to at least feeling a little bit of relief and a small amount of peace maybe, maybe a large amount of peace and unblocking yourself emotionally and creatively. So don't bottle it up. And also one addendum, don't hesitate to tell people what you're going through because people might not know. And so we can't assume that people understand the pressure we're under if we don't share that with them and be explicit about how they can help. All right, now to the guest. Don Yeager is an award-winning keynote speaker, business leadership coach, 11-time New York Times bestselling author, contributor to Forbes, and longtime associate editor for Sports Illustrated. He's worked with people such as Michael Jordan, Walter Payton, and basically every big name you can think of in sports. And he's appeared on shows such as The Oprah Winfrey Show, Nightline, CNN, and Good Morning America. The inciting incident of Don's creativity was a bit of a miraculous accident. And through that, he found his greatest gift, curiosity. I'm really fascinated by CQ, which is the curiosity quotient, right, of people. And I am really convinced that if I had to define someone's capacity for greatness or success, I really think it comes down to how curious are they. He has followed his curiosity through an amazingly successful journalism career. And through the power of asking questions and telling stories, he's had an opportunity to meet and talk with some of the brightest and best people of our time. These days, he works as a writer, speaker, and coach, teaching lessons on achieving greatness, which he learned firsthand from interviewing over 2,500 sports legends. I wanted to have Don on the show because I was lucky enough to see him speak during a recent trip to the Bahamas with my dad, and he blew me away. His speech illuminated a few things that I knew to be true. One, that storytelling might just be the most powerful gift we have as humans. And two, that the key to finding purpose is turning your adversity into fuel to help others. He has a gut-wrenchingly beautiful story that illuminates that second point, and I can't wait for you to hear it on the show. From our conversation, you'll learn the key to powerful storytelling, why natural gifts are less important than mindset, why being the underdog can actually be your greatest gift, the power of asking questions, and the 16 keys to greatness. And one other thing you should know before we get to the interview, we are recording this in a conference room, and once in a while you'd hear the people in the conference room next door. So if you hear that, just let it slide. It's like you're in the room with us. Now here he is, Don Yeager. So something I love talking about on the show is the inciting incident of creativity in someone's life. And I'm wondering, if you trace the lines of your life, what was that for you? You know, it's funny. I think sometimes in life, some of the most incredible things that will happen to you happen by accident. And you don't know that that's uh, that they're defining moments until years later. And uh, for me, uh, I, a defining moment as it relates to the creativity that I that I, I think I've discovered within myself, it came down to my, my family. Uh, my dad was a preacher, a Methodist preacher, and we uh, we, we moved. Uh, we lived, I was born and raised in Hawaii, uh, lived there till I was 11, moved to Japan for a couple of years, and then we moved to Indiana. 
Wow. Right? Hawaii, Japan, <laughs> Indiana. That's an interesting and, mix. Yeah, not it's not the not the not the path most people take. And so we show up and I'm there, freshman in high school, and I have to sign up for classes. And I'd spent my my lifetime around military people. And so I signed up for ROTC, thinking I would maybe one day serve in the military and and get officer training, you know, even beginning in high school. And uh, the night before classes started, the school counselor called the house and said, not enough kids signed up for ROTC. They, um, they were eliminating the program that year, but they were going to put me in uh, on the student newspaper. And, and did you have uh, any interest in writing at the time? No, I, wow. had, I had never. I mean, I'd always thought I, I, I'd like to, I journaled and I did other things that, you know, but again, I, you know, some kids did these things, but there wasn't an effort to go, you know, study journalism or, or, or participate in the art form that is asking good questions. And all of that literally happened because there weren't enough kids that signed up for OTC. But that moment, I just, I embraced what they offered me, which was the chance to just start asking questions. A career was born and it was crazy because I, I didn't target it. It just happened. And, but when it did happen, I found it to be scintillating and I, and I couldn't help but enjoy the idea of being the first to know, which mm -hmm. then became my new thing. Like I wanted to, you know, the whole idea of journalism for me was, can I be first to know? One thing led to another, and here we sit. Storytelling is so clearly your purpose and something that you're so incredibly gifted at. And something we talk about a lot on the show is purpose. And I'm wondering, when you stepped into that, what was the feeling that kind of overtook your body, mind, and spirit? Because it was such a God moment, I think. You know, it's like that was like a one in a million chance that you'd be set on the right path after you'd really wanted to choose a different path but something in you lit up. What was that feeling and how can other people know if they're feeling that right now? I don't know that it, it immediately lit. Mm -hmm. I think it was a process. But what I ultimately grew to understand was my gift is telling someone else's story. There's some people whose gift is telling their story. But I think my gift is learning your story so well understanding it well enough that I can feel how what elements of it uh, will resonate with a larger audience of people and then dissecting those things and trying to apply them into a little bit of a formula that we use when we tell stories. And so all of that kind of grew through development, but I realized early how much I enjoyed trying to find the story behind the story. What is that storytelling formula? I've actually kind of drawn it out. I drew it as a, as a bookshelf. And so as I did that, the first thing I realized is that most people don't know their audience well enough, right? If you don't know your audience, it's tough to make sure you're telling them the right story. And so what's the work you do on the front end to know who you're serving? And if you know your audience, then you know what you can contribute that will make, that will make a difference for them. And then I, I say that the other end of the bookshelf is uh, where do you want them to go or what do you want them to do once they're done listening to you? I think most people fail by even understanding those two bookends. They don't, they don't think carefully enough about who they're speaking to 
And then they don't think about what do we want them to feel, do, be inspired by at the end of the story. I, I was asked a couple of years ago to speak to a bunch of professional athletes who wanted to become speakers. Mm. And uh, and I'll never forget this one guy at the end, like when I got to the second element, you know, that often gets forgotten. He looked at me and he goes, you mean my stories have to have a point? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and that's the deal. This guy, like, could unload this amazing story about being there. We're in the Super Bowl. It's fourth down. And it's, you know, he had all this great drama to it. But other than the fact that it was cool, it had no point. Like, I would do, I couldn't use it to, to I'm not better because I heard it. Right. Right. And so our whole our whole model is built on the model I try to build to, to work with others on on how to be better storytellers. First, you got to really you got to have a have a deep and abiding understanding and appreciation for those you're speaking to, and then you got to have to at the end of it, you have to know what you want them to do or feel or or how you want them to activate. Right, a call and to action or a takeaway. Right, mm-hmm. CTA. I mean, all those things. There's all this. But most people don't master those two pieces. So they'll tell you a story that will take you nowhere, or they they tell you the they they don't tell you the right story, and they then try to land it in the wrong place. And those two elements, to me, are central to being able to be a great storyteller. That's a beautiful takeaway. Thank you for that. I mean, it really harkens back to like the five paragraph essays we learned how to write in high school, right? Right. You have the thesis statement. Right. You share what it, like what illuminates it, three different points, and then you bring it on home in the conclusion and tell people how to access that in their own lives. Right. Yeah. And so you want story, lesson, and action, mm-hmm. right? And if you can do those three things... And you can sit and tell stories all day long and people will walk away better as a result. So getting back to your story a little bit, I know that there was a really pivotal moment for you when you were about to drive to your first job and your dad, he asked you a question, right? I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that. What was the question and how did it change your path and how can other people maybe start to ask themselves a similar question? Yeah, it was uh, this crazy deal. I had... Obviously, because of what had happened in high school, I had decided journalism was going to be my path. I chose to go to college, Ball State University, very good journalism school. Uh, As a result, got offered a really great job straight out of college to work for a newspaper in San Antonio, Texas. Um, My parents lived in Indianapolis at the time, stopped at the house, loaded up what last few things I was going to drive all the way to San Antonio for day one. And I'm standing there. My dad says, you know, just because of the career you've chosen, you will be exposed to some extraordinary people. Like, you know, journalists get, it's part of the allure of journalism in some ways is, you know, you're sitting with the power brokers. You are, if you're into whatever it is you might be covering, the best in the world might well get to know you if you do what you do really well. And so uh, my dad said, you're going to, just by presence alone, you will do what you have to do, which is ask them the questions you need to learn about them, but always ask a question that will benefit you. You're going to be in the presence of mastery 
ask a question that will benefit you. And I, I remember like I had this 1200 mile drive ahead of me and I kept thinking like, what's the question? What question do I ask? Like, dad, why didn't you finish it? Why don't you tell me what question to ask? And he didn't because he's a good dad that way. And he, I don't even know that he knew what the answer was, but his, his challenge was don't be in the presence of someone extraordinary and not take something away that will make you better. Do what you have to do, but be better because you were there. And ultimately, I settled on a question, simple as it is, which was, if you could name one habit that you believe separated you from your competitors or even your teammates, what would the habit be? What's something you work on every day that that gives you your greatest shot at greatness, right? And whatever it might be. And over the next 30 years, I asked that question 2,500 times of the very best of our world. And I kept answers in a series of notebooks that were separate from my day-to-day work. And ultimately, when my journalism career kind of came to a close, when I took an early retirement from Sports Illustrated, I sat down with these notebooks and they became my future right? Which was really cool. That one lesson, standing in the driveway, Mm -hmm. became a a book, it became a speech, it became a, it just, it it, it became this thing for me. A brand even. A brand. Yeah. Where I got to learn because I, I'm not a scientist. I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, cure anything. But what I did was I took advantage of access and Um, and made something of it. Right. And you also brought that access to other people. You know, if we have access to all these amazing minds and we don't bring it to the people, if we don't democratize it, shame on us. Right. I think it's so beautiful that you found a way to do that. And you have distilled it down. I don't know how you did it from 2,500 questions, but distill it down to 16 characteristics of greatness. Defining greatness is number one. Two, no excuses. Three, improve your inner circle. Four, visualize victory. Five, preparing powerfully. Six, what off season? Seven, use adversity as fuel. I really want to dive into that because I see that as a commonality between everyone I talk to. Eight, reframe your perspective. Nine, take thoughtful risks. Ten, when all else fails, adjust. Eleven, ultimate teammate. Twelve, not just about the Benjamins. Thirteen, do unto others. Fourteen, when no one is watching. Fifteen, when everyone is watching. And sixteen, records are made to be broken. So I'm curious, okay, first of all, like what was that distillation process like? How did you manage it? How did you get down to these sixteen? And then I want to take like a deep dive into them. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So I will tell you the distillation process was pretty simple. I just started going through them and going, gosh, Here's an interview with this person. And when asked what I mean, the story, they basically told me sounds like really what they did was they handled adversity better than other people. They really believe that the way they managed failure uh, made a big difference in them. Let's, let's group all those together. And that became a, you know, they didn't all say the exact same words. And I wasn't certainly offering them up a checklist. But what I looked for were commonalities in the stories that I thought would would fit well. And so, and the truth is, there was, there was a, you know, you probably could have come down to a hundred uh, that came up most frequently, but these came up far more frequently. This would be the top list. It just, it, it felt like 
these covered a fascinating waterfront to me because mm. it wasn't that well first off the one thing i hope you noticed in that is that no one that not a single one of these answers is about i what what allowed me to be better than my competitor Ugh, i was just bigger faster stronger right nobody talked about that really where they went was uh, in, in they they looked at a series of disciplines how did they discipline themselves how did they manage failure how did they handle uh, the need to be a great teammate to the people around them? Were they willing to shade the truth when when they didn't think they'd get caught, or was that was that was that principle important enough to them that they thought every day about acting as if their son or daughter were sitting next to them? Mm-hmm. You know, when you started putting these together, they fell into these categories, and then within them, I started looking for. What are the best stories that were shared with me? So as I share these, it's usually around stories of others taught to me as they were teaching me how this impacted who they were. So I'd love to dive into use adversity as fuel, because that's something just from doing this podcast, I've noticed that every single person I talk to has in some way taken their pain and turned it into purpose. So do you have an example of that that you could share with the audience and really how they can start to do that in their own lives? Sure. The example that I use when most often telling that lesson or teaching that lesson, it's so funny because like, you know, it took me a few years to begin using the word teaching to start talking about it and kind of, because I, I'm, A, I wasn't that bright and B, I wasn't that good a student. So. Why do you say you weren't that bright? I mean, you know, if you looked at my at my academic track record, you wouldn't pick me out as the guy most likely to be sitting on a podcast today. Wow. Um, and How did, so, so quick question, if we could sidebar on that for a minute, because I also had some trouble when I was younger in school. I had an amazing third grade teacher who taught me I could basically learn to be smart and set my whole life on a different trajectory. But when you grow up with that kind of baggage on you, it's kind of... For me, it's been something I've carried with me my whole life. Did that affect you going into your professional career? Like, do those words ever haunt your brain? And how do you shut that inner asshole up when, you know, they come to play? (laughs) So, I I mean, I guess it affects me. You know, my wife and others laugh that they actually think I'm probably far brighter than than I give myself credit for. But... Um, yeah, you know, I think people, I think your numbers show up and people go, gosh, you know, this kid's, this kid's going to be average, right? You know, he might be a little above average, but not, not a whole lot more than that. I certainly was never at the top of anything. I think I kind of, it felt like sometimes, you know, in a world where everybody has to be labeled that I had average stamped on me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the piece that, that most people miss it's funny, I was I was literally having this conversation with someone yesterday. As I've really gone through and thought more and more about who I want to emulate, who I who I IQ's okay, right? You know, it's great. I'd love to have more of it. I'm my, I don't know where my number is. I've actually never been tested mostly cuz I'm I don't want to know self-conscious, either. Yeah, right? I'm scared. <laughs> I, I know what my son's is cuz he was tested and it's off the charts and it's very and, and daddy's proud. EQ, you know, is very important to me. I think I have a pretty good emotional connection to people. I think I can connect pretty well. Oh, you are unbelievable. 
You really are. Even when you're speaking, you make it feel like you're just talking to one person. I felt like you were talking to me when there are probably, what, over a thousand people in that room. You have an incredible ability for that. And that is, I think, so much more important. Well, the the one that really has stood out to me as I've really tried to define, and I don't even know this is a thing. Like, I don't, I've not read about it. I've actually typed these words in. Google doesn't recognize it as a phrase. But I'm really fascinated by CQ, which is the curiosity quotient, right, of people. And I am really convinced that if I had to define someone's capacity for greatness or success, I really think it comes down to how curious are they. Now, in athletics, it helps to have a great gene pool and, and be able to, <laughs> to do extraordinary things. But in most of the rest of life, I think CQ is the thing I look for in people. And um, it's who I look for when I'm hiring. It's it's who I look for when I'm spending time with others. If they have a low CQ, they don't, they, they're not going to interest me. Like, you know, they're going to ask me a lot of questions, but I want them to be asking others a lot of questions. And that's where I find a great CQ is valuable. I didn't stand out anywhere academically, but I probably in to use our to use this conversation. I think early, and no one knew that that's what it was. And certainly, as I said, the phrase hasn't even been coined. Maybe it is today. You should coin it. Um, but that CQ became kind of my thing, hmm. and curiosity. You know, I didn't just want to know uh, about the war in Afghanistan, right? I wanted to go to it, mm. and I did. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't want to just know about uh, high-performing individuals. I went to, I, I mean, I used what I was given, which was that ability to to um, to write and do things to end up in their presence and, and learn from them. And CQ, to me, um, it's, I don't know how you, you probably can't ever measure it but whatever it is that that little element became really important in my development and my 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 pursuit of greatness that's a great tip so if you do have that baggage of feeling like when you were younger you weren't good enough in some way turn it around and change what you value you know right. you you have more value as a person you value curiosity quotient you value emotional intelligence so we don't need to judge ourselves by standards that we actually don't value that much in our own lives, right? Yeah. That's a yeah. that's a great tip. So getting back to using adversity as fuel, you said there's a very specific story that you usually share when talking about this. Sure. And you heard it when we were in the Bahamas, right? And it was about a uh, professional football player, a young man who, uh, his name is Warwick Dunn. Many of your audience might not even know who they are, who he is. But as an 18-year-old high school senior, amazing player. Everybody wanted him to go play at their college. His mother was a police officer and he was the oldest of six kids. And then the mother is shot and killed in a robbery at a bank and no father in the house. So he's the man of the house. He's got all this new responsibility. He actually goes to college, brings and supports with him younger brothers and sisters. Amazing story. But in the process is so good as a little football player. He's only 5'8", 178 pounds. So good, he helps lead the team to the national championship. And he 
graduates, right, uh, with a degree, first in his family, never do that, and in the process becomes the all-time leading rusher, right, football carrier in the history of this university, becomes a first-round draft pick in the NFL, the 12th overall pick in the entire draft. Very cool. Signs contract, all kinds of money his way that he never thought he was going to have. And he immediately starts a charity, buying homes for women like his mom. I think he just bought his 171st home a few weeks ago. Amazing. This guy's unbelievable. He becomes the smallest player in history to carry the football for 10,000 yards. I mean, that's hard to do, right? I mean, you got to be in the NFL for a long time to do that. 13 years he plays in the league. In the process, he is awarded the highest honor the NFL gives a player for off-the-field behavior. It's called the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And as a result of winning that award, publisher hears his story, asks him to tell it his story as a book. He chooses me, and I get a chance to work with this guy. And uh, so we're we're going along, and toward the end of the process, I actually asked him a question that would change everything, which was, if you could sit with the man that killed your mother, what kind of questions would you ask him? What what might you say to him? And he just like, oh my gosh, like I wasn't ready for that. Gets up, walks out of my office, but he comes back two days later and he says, you know, by the way, here's what I'd ask him. And he handed me a notebook and it was filled with questions. And as it happened in those two days, I figured out a friend of mine had called. We were talking, and I and and my and I told my friend about him leaving, that this was so awkward, and I felt bad that I'd asked this question. And my friend said, "You know, that's really interesting." I mean, my friend lived in Louisiana, which is where the man who had killed his mother was on death row. And he says, "I read this story. There's a story that if you're the victim of a crime that leads the perpetrator to death row, and you fill out certain paperwork." The Louisiana Department of Corrections will expedite a meeting between victim and inmate because they want the victims to find closure. So Warwick comes in, he hands me all these questions that he has come up with, and I said, look at this, you could go ask them. And I show him the article. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I'll have to get back with you on that. And he turns around and leaves again. And he comes back three days later. And he says, let's go. Let's go to death row. And so we did. He and I and his high school coach went to death row to meet the guy that killed his mom. And in the process, when when we arrived, the warden actually said, by the way, you should be aware, he confessed to killing your mother years ago, but last night he changed his story. He filed an appeal with the United States Supreme Court. He's now saying, he wasn't even there the night it happened. Warwick said, that's okay. I'm not here for him. I'm here for me. And we go in the cell that they had set up for us, and, and it's a round table, and, and the inmate's back in one side. He's got a lawyer on either side, and Warwick sits down across from the inmate. I'm to his left. The coach is to his right, and we're just there, and suddenly in the middle of it, I mean, we're, we're barely sitting down when the inmate begins this brand new story about where he was and why he just suddenly remembered it. And he's going on and on. And finally, Warwick closes the notebook with all the questions 
and holds up his hand. And he says, sir, if you weren't there that night, let me tell you what that night did to me. He said, you know, prior to that night, I used to play football, passion, emotion. I've done not a single thing since that night that required emotion from me because I don't have it anymore. He said, I used to dream about being a father. He said, you should know, I spent the last four years in counseling trying to learn how to hold my girlfriend's hand in public because I'm afraid of falling in love with her. I can't lose love twice in one lifetime. And as Warwick says that, the inmate starts crying. And he starts crying. And the inmates cry. Or, I mean, the, the lawyers are crying. The coach cry, I'm crying. Everybody's crying, right? And then Warwick holds up his hand again. And he says, sir, you should know that if you weren't there that night that my mother was killed, I don't know why you came here today. But I know why I came here today. I came here to forgive you. It's like the most amazing thing I've ever watched anybody do, right? You know, to forgive the unforgivable. And uh, so we cry some more, and, you know, we have this amazing thing. And then we're leaving, and Warwick said, and I said, where'd you get that? Like, who has that inside of them? And he tells me this story from his mom. He said, my mother used to, you know, she, she wasn't, she didn't have a lot of formal education, but she had ridiculous wisdom and the wisdom is what she gave us every day. And the one little nugget she said most often was, um, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're white or you're black or rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're born on the side tracks or raised on that one. The one thing we're promised is that there's a moment out there that something will happen that will change the way you wake up the next morning. There's something out there's adversity out there for all of us. And in that moment, you get two choices. You can be bitter, or you can choose better. And as my child, I ask you to always choose better. And Warwick looked at me and said, I was looking at that inmate, and I wanted to make my mother proud. And <laughs> when I, you know, when I think about how he's teaching me that lesson, right? I've told this story. 3,000 times, right? It still makes me cry because it's so impactful that this young man learned this lesson that way and he shared it with me and I get lucky enough to share it with other people, right? But the lesson's real. What's out there for all of us is something that will that has the capacity to change how we wake up the day after. But in that moment, you get the two choices. Mm. <laughs> choose better and it's like wow i mean it's so it's almost so simple you're thinking there's no uh, there's no genius in that but what there is is there's there's a genius level of humanity and i tell people all the time i go to the next 25 super bowls and i'll never see a greater moment than that i will never see a human being do anything as extraordinary as that and um, and I got to be there. And it was pretty cool. Changed my life. But it also changed the way I explain to people, how do you manage adversity? You think about, you get two options. And it's pretty simple. Bitter or better. Where are you going to go? I just think it's also so beautiful 
it's clear to me that the, you hold people's stories in their hand in your hands as if they're your own and you give them so much integrity and love like you hold it like it's a it's a human life because it is people's stories that is our lives that's our vitality that's what people remember once we're gone to see you tell that story and when I do know you've told it so many times and to tell it in such an evocative and emotional way as if it's happening right now, it was actually, it was a real honor for me to just watch that. Mm. Thank you. But what an incredible tool, you know, every time something bad happens to us, you can either let it destroy you or you can take it and and turn suffering into purpose. And so thank you for just, putting that in such a clear and beautiful way. Time for a Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> I really needed that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. And thank you to Warwick for being probably one of the world's living angels. Another thing that I took from that is, you know, he was an underdog in so many different ways. But I really do think being an underdog can actually be a strength. Oh, completely. It would be an absolute piece. You know, if you asked him for his superpower, it would be that he wasn't gifted in size. He wasn't gifted in... He's quick, but right. he wasn't. He wasn't ever going to run anybody over. He was going to have to. He was going to have to be shifty, and he was going to have to do things that would give him. You know, that would that would. Allow, I mean, I love the title of the book. The title of the book is "Running for My Life," mm. right? Because that's who he was, and that's what he did. He went on not just to graduate went from college and with a bachelor's. He went on to get an MBA, right? And and then uh, of his five siblings, four have their bachelor's, two have a, an advanced degree, and the one that's missing her bachelor's is a semester short. And so, you know, I mean, she didn't get to see any of it, but you know his mother is enormously proud. So if someone listening feels like they're the underdog in their own life, on their own creative journey, how can they take that? And turn it into a gift. I think a lot of it is instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do, right? What Warwick realized was he didn't have that gift of size, right? But what he was choosing to be was a running back in the NFL where size is a gift because it keeps you from getting hurt more often. But one of the ways he learned early that you get hurt often is trying to I, again, I'm not going to pretend that you're, that everybody in the audience understands these words. So let's. Oh I, yeah, I'll we're not try. sports people for the most part. I but, love the stories. That's what gets me about sports, and that's why I was so enthralled with what you did. Because I remember just a sidebar for a minute when I went to Michigan State. I was at the football game, and like I didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh, whatever. But we were winning, and then we won, and everybody started hugging each other and kissing each other, and you know, it was like this big familial celebration. And I was like, oh, it's not just guys jumping on top of each other. This is why people love this thing. It's it's the camaraderie, it's the connection, it's the stories. And the person to your left could be a neuroscientist. The yeah. person to your right could work in a 
in a parking garage, but for those few hours, the three of you are equals. Right. And it's pretty cool. And your family. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that that's beautiful. Yeah. But the, uh, I have to admit, I'm not sure I remember exactly where we were going with it. You're that, like, but, I'm not going to pretend everybody knows Oh, yeah. But so or... what Warwick realized was that, you know, where most people get hurt in his business is once hit and tackled, they try to extend a little further, right? Or do something a little more. And it's that second hit that often hurts them, right? So Warwick realized when he hit the end of a run, at his size, his need was to be available for the next play. So instead of trying to do something superhuman, which maybe someone with size might do, Warwick understood, end of the play, I go down, that's fine, I get up and play again. And so if gifted with size, he might not have lasted as long interestingly and so it's a long way of getting to this point that you're we often look at ourselves for what we're not mm-hmm. I, I mentioned earlier stamped average right not the brightest not the not the anything right for me i i could spend my the rest of my life you know regretting what i'm not instead of finding and celebrating what i am right focus on your strengths find what you're extraordinary at right because I'm sure it's unique and it's something that no one else can do quite like you. I hope not. Yeah, and I know that that's the case. And now that that one we did, Use Adversity as Fuel, is one of your favorites. If you had to pick one other list item that people could focus on today to help them up-level their lives, career, whole being, what would you pick and why? One of my favorites was the value of association. Like, who do we surround ourselves with? And I had never thought about this as important, um, you know, and I'd heard parents say it, obviously, <laughs> you know, um, but I didn't understand its importance until uh, I, had, I, I had a mentor who shared this with me. And his whole thing was, you will never outperform the people you have around you. That If you want to look at what your capacity for success is, look at who you have in your inner circle. Because, you know, this coach was teaching me, you'll never outperform them. I mean, I've actually had people who have who've shared with me scientific studies that have been done around this. I was learning it in a much more simple fashion. But the idea that if you want to look at, you know, you want to, you want to predict what's in your bank account, you know, I, I dare you to go measure the bank accounts of the five people you, you probably spend your most time with. That's probably about where you are. And so the key is if you want to... Uh, if you want to increase your opportunities for success, always be improving that inner circle. Always be looking for for people who might be just a stretch outside of where you are right now that you can go align yourself with, that you can go learn from, that you could go spend time with. And and it's interesting, the, the guy who was teaching me this, when I asked him to give me his inner circle, Two of the people he gave me as part of his inner circle were Mother Teresa and Abraham Lincoln, right? So two people he'd never met, but he considered them part of his inner circle because he was so fascinated by who they were that he read everything written by them. He studied their works to understand what drove them, what made them, and that made them part of his inner circle, which I thought was pretty cool because I used to think inner circle absolutely has to be 
you know, who's in the back seat as you're driving, right? Right. No, inner circle can be that person just absolutely fascinates me. What can I learn from them? And I may not get a chance to meet them not anytime soon. How do I how do I learn from people? And so uh, that was a really great encouragement for me. Oh, that's amazing because a lot of times people say that and I think about a listener that maybe is sitting at home, doesn't have a lot of people around them that are doing things that they want to do, like all their friends are broke. How are they going to find a person that will help them up-level their lives? But what you're talking about, and I think that's in, um, not Abraham Hicks, it's what's in Napoleon Hill, his yeah. book. He talks about the, the cabinet, or like, right. I can't remember the word he uses, but he talks about how you should have like basically like an imaginary council. And if you think about it hard enough, they become real. And then suddenly your whole life is a level up toward your imaginary council. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I think the other thing that happens is you start realizing who's the dead weight in your life, mm -hmm. right? And, and you start maybe making some time choices, okay? I could spend more time with that person who every time I'm with them, the drama around their life absolutely pulls me in the in a, in the wrong direction, or I can make a choice, you know, um, an intentional choice, to go find that person that has, who who um, who just might uh, say yes if I ask them to go to lunch, right? Uh, I, that's the funny part. I mean, you know, what I learned over the course of lifetime is that a lot of folks, um, the, the, the greatest challenge in finding and developing mentoring relationships is just straight up a failure to ask, right? You select yourself out of the opportunity before it even begins by not even believing, by saying, you know what, uh, yeah, I know, they, I know they're, I, but they're in the corner office down there and they'd never have lunch with me. You know, I just, I can't. So I'm just going to stay with my three friends. What do you think is the best way to approach someone who is in the corner office? I think what you do is you say, look, here's the deal. I've been, I've been studying for a while, uh, things that I want to grow and learn and be and become. And, and I know these three things about your career path. So share right. that you've studied it. Share that you've studied them. Mm -hmm. And and as I look at that, I realize there's a there's there there are things I'd love to learn from you and I don't know. I know you're busy, right? But if you would give me if you would let me buy lunch the next time you're gonna have lunch, uh I would I I, I promise you, um I'll be better for it and 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 I promise that I will stay in touch with you to let you know I will show you that I'm better for it by reporting back things I've learned from you and how I used it in my development. And truthfully, that's part of what stops most people from who are mentor capable, right? People who could be mentors from doing it is you, you realize after one or two visits, behaviors aren't changing. People are still, but they're still asking for your time. Mm-hmm. And so you, and I speak in some of this from experience, and so the third phone call, you're like, no, nah, that's okay. I'm, I, I really don't have a lunch scheduled. I've decided to eat tuna for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so, you know, what you're missing is that, that, that piece where you're saying, 
here's what I did with what you what you mentioned and and here's how I'm better. Thank you. Now, I got one more question for you, right? And then you and then and then as that growth begins and they start seeing you as somebody who's coachable and that you desire you desire to grow, what happens is suddenly you've got an advocate in the corner office and you could say, "Ah, oh, well, that's, you know, whatever, right? I mean, it's a bad thing and amongst my three friends that I that I normally have lunch with, is it really?" You know? If your goal is one day to aspire to something, go find people that are doing what you aspire to do. And, and bring them value. And like add value to them. Yeah. So one thing that I was so struck by when I saw you speak is how how easily and almost compassionately you access marketing or you go about marketing your product, what you do. And so I think that's a really tricky thing because a lot of creative people are like, I'm just an artist. I don't, I don't want to deal with that, but we have to, right? If we're going to build our own businesses, we have to learn that piece of it. How did you discover and how do you continue to discover effective marketing tactics? And what would be your advice for people listening, finding their own way in that journey? Well, it's two pieces. One, I watch people who do it well. And then I try to go, wow, you know what? I didn't even know I was being sold right there. Mm-hmm. What did they do? And I dissect it just as I would anything else. I mean, I'm a, I'm, you know, I, 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 I break things down to try to figure out how I can use it. But the second part of it is I would look at it and say, who does it poorly? And uh, that's one of the things that I think is the reason why most of us this, our skin crawls when we think, ooh, you know, ooh, I have to sell because it sounds like something that is just a complete, uh, it sounds miserable, right? It sounds like, and the people we've watched sell were always cheesy and sleazy. And so I, I think if you can do it authentically, if you can watch people who do it well, um, I'm not, a, I'm not a natural salesperson, but I've learned that Nothing good happens until you sell, right? And so I get the honor of being able to continue to do what I do, mostly because people buy what I do, and that's right. a pretty good deal. Well, and because you believe in what you do, too. It um, definitely helps. I think that it's just cool because you are yourself everywhere you go. You're a journalist through and through, and you let that serve you. You know, wherever you go, take your strength. So what's your unique spin on it through the strength that you know you have that nobody else has? Yeah. And that's wonderful advice. Before we go to like my final questions, I just I want to make sure we get what your definition of greatness is. Like what is greatness after all the studying and interviewing and theorizing you've done? <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, I mean it's it's interesting cuz part of one of the things that we challenge people to do is develop their own definition, right? Cuz it's not I don't think it's definable. I mean, it's like, yeah. to me it's There's not, no like silver bullet answer. <laughs> no. But the one thing that has really stood out to me and was a, maybe my first big aha on this discussion was that it's not a destination, mm-hmm. right? I used to think of greatness was someplace I wanted to go. The truth is you don't ever get there because the second you're there and you stop, it's really not there anymore. So I look at it as a journey and I look at the idea of like how do we, and and greatness to me is defined by a commitment to daily improvement, a commitment to 
to the betterment of other people in the process, that it's not metrically measured mostly by money. I mean, that's, and there are a lot of people I know who have achieved everything they said they were going to achieve financially and are miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife laughs all the time. I have no idea how much money we have. Like, I don't <laughs> care. I don't even ask what we make. I don't, you know, none of those are, and it drives her crazy that I don't know. Well, does she know? She does. Okay, then there you it's go. It's totally cool. That's why right? you married That's her. You're a good like, partnership. Like, right? I mean, you know, but she's like, every once in a while, don't you think you should at least ask? And I'm kind of like, eh, you know what? That's not what drives me. And so it works for us and it works for, for that for that situation. But for me, greatness is really, it's this idea that it's, you know, it's not about records. It's not about holding a record because someone's always going to take it from you. It's not about achieving some particular metrically measured detail someone's going to top it it's about i am committed to being better today than i was yesterday and if i am and i work on that i'm not going to be better every day that would be awesome right but it's not going to work that way but i if if i make that um if i wake up with that as my goal and I and I commit myself to doing the right things. I'm going to have many more good days than bad. And if I continue to have good days, um, greatness is ahead for me. Beautiful. I do believe it. I believe that too. So I know you have an incredible course called Journey to Greatness. I actually just signed up for it myself and I'm going to be taking the journey. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about that. And also, I know that you have an incredible offer for my listeners, so we'll plug that at the end. But tell me about the journey to greatness. What does it involve and why should the person listening join us on the journey? <laughs> Thank you. So what what happened was about a year ago, as I was realizing, you know, one of the challenges in anything we do is bandwidth. and And most of what I do today involves going out, standing in front of a room full of people and telling them stories and hopefully having some impact on who they are. Sometimes it's getting a chance to be on a podcast, whatever it might be. But the challenge is it's, you know, we have a finite number, finite number of hours in a day. How can I extend my opportunity uh, and reach to people within what's available technology wise and and so i had more and more people pushing me to say build take some of your lessons and let's build it into an online learning course some kind of and so we did it's called journey to greatness and it, it literally takes the lessons that we that you were just referencing some of the stories we just shared but in the process it it works in you know with workbooks and everything else that comes with it it's an online course that is that just allows people to make their way through and and go on this journey with me. Like I share very personal stories of how these lessons impacted who I would become in the effort to try to help make it work. It's self-taught, self-paced in that sense. It's about four hours of video content in the lessons spread out over 30 days. And, uh, and yeah, we... Um, I know as we were trying to put together something to make sure we were we were here and and able to kind of make it available to to those who are listening. It's a, it's normally three hundred ninety nine dollars, and if you were to go to donyeager dot com, 
look at courses, click on Journey to Greatness, there is, and you type in the code UNLEASH, actually it's 75% off, it's $99. It's incredible. Um, and to me, uh, again, this is just an opportunity. It's it's a way that I get to participate in the growth of other people, which is cool. And it's a way, hopefully, that other people will be able to look at me one day and say, hey, um, I got to get a little bit from that guy. And that's that's the dream of anybody who does what I do. I'm so excited to take the journey and take the class. And definitely, if you're listening and you're interested, stick around to the end to learn how you can get your chance for a free journey to greatness, because there is one that's going to be given away. away So stick around to the outro to find out how you can get your opportunity. And there's two questions I ask everyone. Yes, ma'am. So I believe creativity is intricately connected to the inner child, to little you. And... I like to think about my little Lauren a lot and like if I'm doing right by her, if I'm taking care of her and in this world we live in. And so if you and your younger self were standing in the same room and looking at each other, what do you think little Don would say to you and why? Huh. That's a great question. I am. I think the one thing a little me would probably ask me is why was I so impatient? You know, I wanted everything to come fast because as I found some success, I wanted more of it, but I wanted, I didn't want it like, and I wanted titles and I wanted all these things that were, I mean, when we talk about what, how I define greatness today, it's the opposite of everything I chased probably into my early thirties. How did you shift it? Well, failures and then you know this is this gets far deeper than we have in our in our end here the interview but um but cancer uh, i'm a cancer survivor and so it was um you know i mean staring death down changes your perspective and so i am and i had cancer in in at 40 and so i mean it's kind of crazy but we uh so i look at things that Far differently today, but there were some moments, you know, earlier in my thirties when I failed dramatically, where I, I embarrassed myself in ways that allowed me to put things in better perspective. And sometimes, I mean, I think that's the beauty of of true self-induced failure, right? So this isn't failure as in you know something bad happened. I mean, it's like I brought it on me. And, and it changed a lot of my perspective. So, but prior to then, I was in such a hurry. And I think when you're in a hurry, sometimes you take shortcuts. And I mean, without question, some of my failures came from not dotting I's and crossing T's as I should have um, when I was on my early part of the journey. So your younger self would say, hey, why were you so impatient? And I'm glad you figured it out. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and what would you say to him and why? I would say appreciate where you are as opposed to always, you know, having... It would be the inverse of what mm-hmm. we we're basically saying. I, I think there were just a lot of places where I was in such a hurry to be at the next job, at the next level, at the next this, that I... um I short-sold where I was, mm. and I wasn't always present because I was busy being 
I I was busy trying to be somewhere I wasn't. Mm. Don, I, this is like so, looking in a mirror right now. Thank you. <laughs> so I um I had these moments, and and in all of that, I found myself finding, uh, making mistakes that um, I don't think I would make today. And I think that would be the um, uh, that would be what I'd hope I, I, that that the little version would take from my journey. Well, thank you so much. Your journey is absolutely incredible. I could talk to you for 15 hours. You've got incredible stories. You've got incredible insights. And uh, you're a great example of, I think, a a life well-lived and well-learned. So thank you. Lauren, thank you so much. Appreciate it so much for giving me the chance to be here with you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for being with me. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for listening and to my incredible guest, Don Yeager. To learn more about Don, visit DonJaeger.com and follow him at Don Yeager. And to enter to win a free Journey to Greatness course, which as you heard, I am taking as well, go to Unleash.DonJaeger.com. Again, that's Unleash.D-O-N-Y-A-E-G-E-R.com. If you don't win, don't stress. You can also get 75% off the course by using code UNLEASH. So you can just go to donjaeger.com, select Journey to Greatness under Courses, and then when you check out, put in the code UNLEASH. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you enjoy the show, the best way to share that is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and following on Spotify. On the rating and reviewing thing, I cannot explain to you how much it means to me every time I see a rating and review. And not only that, but it really affects how much visibility comes to the show. So please, 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 if you care about me, if you care about the podcast, just take five seconds to do that rating and review. It means the world. If you really like it, you can also take a screenshot of yourself listening and share to your Instagram stories. Tag at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso and I'll repost it. My wish for you this week is that you use whatever pain you're going through or have gone through to fuel your creativity and purpose. Use it to connect with other people and make them, and also to help yourself, feel less alone. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I believe in you. Talk soon and stay tuned for the Creative of the Week. Today's creative of the week is marketing expert, artist, and joy cultivator, Sophia Joan Short. Growing up, she always loved creating and making people happy. As she grew, she felt the need to achieve and thought at the time that majoring in biochem was the only way she could make a big impact on the world. But she couldn't keep repressing her creativity, so she started snapping photos with captions and putting them on Instagram. Her page grew organically. It's now at over 30,000 followers. And I find it to be a peaceful haven in an otherwise treacherous internet. One of my favorite messages she shared is, you don't have to be good at everything right now. She did this with Scrabble pieces she arranged into a beautiful picture. It's so cool. And it really resonated with me. To check out her incredibly creative and insightful page, follow her at sophia.joan.short. That's it for today. Talk with you next week.